last week we talked about how the presence of God, even in our deepest valleys, even in the wilderness experiences of life, the big idea, the main thing statement last week was the whispers in the valley are louder than the shouts on the mountaintop. Amen? The whispers in the valley are louder than the, than the shouts on the mountaintop. And we kind of discovered together through the life of Elijah that the mountaintop has its place. It has its place in, in the Christian experience and in the experience of living life. But it's just not sustainable. We can't reach the mountaintop and stay there. And so we have to find how do we live in both the mountaintop experiences of life and the valleys of life. And we find in the valleys when God leans into the wilderness experiences of our lives and whispers in that still small voice to us, it does something deeper in us than the mountaintop can ever do. But today we're going to be digging into another story. And you're going to find this um, in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. We don't put scripture up on the screens at Evangel Church. Uh, if you're expecting that, I apologize. Because we bring our Bibles and we dig in together. And when... And when, when something just by the Spirit prompts you or, or something sticks out to you, we kind of unline and mark it up and take some notes and write in the margins and do whatever you can do to, to hear the Spirit of truth because we're all active participants in the preaching of God's Word. This is not a one-man show. This is us together in community with the Spirit of truth present, leading and guiding us. And so if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, uh, grab your phone. Visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And there's some great Bible apps that we can get into your hands right away right now. And we would love to have you do that. But there's three parts to this chapter 33 of Exodus. And of all the chapters in all of the Old Testament, chapter 33 of Exodus is my all-time favorite. It's my all-time favorite. There's so much going on here. There, there's a few moments that we get to have a picture into. We have this moment in the middle of Exodus 33 where, where Moses is in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and he meets face-to-face -face with God, and there's this language of intimacy, this language of the God of the universe meeting with this man Moses in this kind of kinship, this friendship, this face-to-face -face intimate relationship. It's beautiful. And at the end of that little encounter, and it says, the, the Joshua, the son of Nun. How many love Joshua? He's, he's one of my favorite leaders in the Old Testament. And it says, Joshua, the son of Nun. He just hung out there. Even after Moses had left, Joshua, the son of Nun, he was hungry. He was desperate. He wanted to know the presence of God, and he stuck around. But there's three parts to this chapter. Part one, it summarized by this statement by God in Exodus 33, verse 3. And God says this. He says, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. That's an encouraging word from the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so it sets a tone for us as we kind of dig into what we're going to dig into today. But God has had it up to here with Israel, with their complaining and their bickering 
and they're turning away from him to other gods and other things. And, to, and he just had his fill. And he says, you go. The promise is still the promise. I'll still see you to that promised land flowing with milk and honey. But I'm just not going to go with you. Because if I go with you, I'm going to absolutely destroy you. Because you're a stiff-necked people. That's what he's saying. And the people of God are under the judgment of God because of their stubborn attitudes towards him. And he's a God who fulfills his promises, but he refuses to go with the people and he, and he sends them out apart from his presence. And then part two of this chapter, like I said, is this beautiful description of Moses meeting with God on behalf of the people of Israel. It speaks of intimacy, a leaning in of God to man represented by the pillar of cloud filling the tent of meeting the tabernacle, set outside of the camp. And then part three, and this is where we're going to dig in today, part three is Moses. And he comes to God and he intercedes on behalf of the nation of Israel. And it's such a powerful, bold prayer that he prays in this part of Scripture. And we're going to dig in, we're going to camp out in this third part of chapter 33 of Exodus. And this prayer is one of desperation for the presence of God. And the answer, ultimately, is God brings his presence. So if you're ready, if you're taking notes today, write this down. If you're not taking notes today, write this down. The mark of God's presence is our distinguishing mark. The mark of God's presence is our distinguishing mark. I'm going to say it one more time while you're writing it down. The mark of God's presence is our distinguishing mark. So let's dig in. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses right here unpacks for us a kind of framework for understanding our relationship to the presence of God. He says, now, therefore, verse 13, now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now my ways. No, no, no. Your ways, right? Show me now your ways, God. Show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses understands that God is not someone who you simply just approach haphazardly. There's a way, there's an order to who God is, and our role is not to bring God into our way, or our pattern, or our projection of him, or our thoughts of who he is. Our role as a worshiper, our role as those hungry for presence, is to come to God and understand who he is, what his ways are, what his patterns for living are. Amen? And Moses understands this. We've been exploring this theme of personal renewal in the presence of God and the pursuit of his presence. And not just his power, 
But I wonder how often do we pursue God while demanding that he remain in our framework and the order of our lives? I wonder how often we pray the prayer, Lord Jesus, send revival. Revive me, renew me, restore me, refine me. But let me do it in the order and the patterns of my life. I want you, but can you conform to my schedule and to my calendar and to my priorities and to my value system? Can you come and, and fill me up and, and make me one who's powerful, and, and, but do it in a way that's not going to inconvenience my life and my ways of living? I'm going to be honest with you. I struggle with this dynamic every single day. I want to be found in the presence of God, but I I demand at times that he meets me in between meetings and sermon preparation and working and yard work, car maintenance and Netflix. I'm just being real with you. Who can relate? Who can relate? to this hunger for more of God, this hunger to know his presence, juxtaposed with this busy life that we've created for ourselves. And we feel this tension. We come to church and we come to moments like this and we go, Lord, I'm so hungry for you. But please don't blow my life up. I got this figured out as best as I can. Can you conform to my ways? I'm going to let you in a little secret. Often I look back and I realize that many of my sermons and, and calls to action and main thing statements are like a personal journey, journal entry calling myself to action. Why do I tell you this? It's because we have this bad habit of looking at people and making judgments that they they either have it all together or they're a hot mess. And if they have it all together, we feel really bad about ourselves. And if they're a hot mess, then we feel, okay, I'm, I'm okay. And instead, we must create a culture where we understand that none of us have this all together. And we're all in this together. And the reordering of a life isn't just done in isolation. This isn't a call for you to just personalize this moment and change the patterns and the ways of living and coming into the ways of God. Because we can't just do it alone. And so we have to be vulnerable and open and in community. We need help from others in order to reorder our lives around being in the presence of God. We need people that are going to come to us and go, Lucas, When's the last time Jesus taught you something profound about you or about him or about life or about your neighbor? We need people that are going to ask us, when's the last time you opened up the word and it came alive to you? We need people asking about the reordering of our lives. We do this in community. But what a powerful prayer. Please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. He goes on 
in Exodus 13. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go, this is Moses, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not taking another step. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. There are two explosive truths that we cannot overlook in this account. One is the prayer for presence, and we're going to explore these these two separately. The prayer for presence, and number two is the mark of presence. My sermon title, my sermon title is Marked by His Presence. So let's unpack them separately. The prayer for presence. Moses is desperate for the presence of God because he understands just how dependent he is on the presence of God. Moses, when he had his first encounter with God, what what did he do? He was kind of like a really insecure person, wasn't he? When he came before that burning bush and God called him and and said, you're going to lead my people out of Israel. And Moses says, I don't have what it takes. I can't even talk right. This is not a bold CEO of a Fortune 500 company. This was an insecure, ordinary man tending sheep in a field. And God calls him. And he understands, he profoundly understands that he does not have what it takes to carry out this mission set before him. And so he prays this powerful prayer for the presence of God. He stands in the gap. He intercedes on behalf of himself and the people of Israel. Lord, your presence, if your presence does not go, I will not take another step. God previously had promised to send an angel ahead of them. In other words, God had given his word that the promises would be fulfilled, and despite that, Moses is not backing down. So so God said, I'm going to bring you into that land. I'm not going to go with you. I'll send an angel before you. He can wipe out all the the zites. If you read them, parasites, uh, the the, the Hittites, and all the ites. He says, the angel's going to go before you. He'll wipe them all out before you. You'll go into the promised land. I'm just not going to go with you lest I consume you. And Moses is like, no, Lord, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. I'm not backing down on this prayer for the presence of God. I don't want to just do church and get it really tight and really good and get the music right and get the announcements right and get the, 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 the gathering, the talk right, and then the coffee right afterwards so we can go back out. I'm not interested in doing church that way. I'm not interested in leading this people that way. I'm not interested in anything other than your presence. Your presence. A desperate prayer. An insightful prayer. But I wonder how often it is we make do with the angel or the replacement. How often do we step back and just let this great country 
that we came to or we were born into kind of take care of us, walk in the blessing of where we live as a replacement to the desperate need for the presence of God. I wonder how often, though doctors are important, and I'm not anti-doctor, don't hear, don't <laughs> hear this right, people. I am not anti-doctor. If you're sick, go to a doctor, all right? God gifted them, and they're going to help you out. But how often do we let our doctors become an exclusive substitute to our need for the presence in time of sickness? There's so many times where we allow other things to become substitutes to the presence of God instead of contending for and pursuing the only one who will see us through to the end. The only one that will see us through into that promised land. How often do we substitute his presence for the angel or for the stuff or for the bank account or for the thing? The education, the career, the family, the friendships. How often do we allow substitutes to take the place of our deep need for the presence of God in our lives. Now, I understand the New Testament understanding of the presence of God is, 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 is that in Christ Jesus, we become carriers of his presence. So, so we understand that, that we carry Christ everywhere we go. However, how often do we acknowledge his presence with us? How, how often do we contend for his manifest presence. Manifest means this. It's defined as this clear and obvious in the eye or the mind. Clear and obvious in the eye and the mind. That's manifest. So we understand that we carry Jesus everywhere we go. Right? The Spirit is upon us. Christ in us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. So presence goes with us everywhere we go. We understand this theologically. But sometimes we need to get hungry for the manifest presence of God in our lives. Praying like Moses prayed, I won't take another step. I won't take another step unless your presence goes with me. The mark of God's presence is our distinguishing mark. And here's why Moses contends so desperately. And this is why he's not taking the angel. He's not just taking the promise and running with it. Because Moses understands that the mark of God's presence is our distinguishing mark. He says this in 33:16b, "Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Lord, is it not the fact that your presence is with us that makes us different from everybody else? Moses has this understanding of what it 
what, what makes them distinct. And here's what's interesting. It won't be the law. You know, Israel is so famous for the law of the Old Testament, right? The law, the 613 laws that they had to follow and try to follow, and, and it made them very distinct. They made them very different as a people, right? Because they did things differently. They did Sabbath, and, and they let the land rest every seven years, and they did all these different things, and they wouldn't wash, and they don't have to wash after this, and they wouldn't go to the tabernacle if they touched something dead, and they had all of these things that made them very unique as a people in this world. But here Moses understands that that law is not what makes us distinct and different. It's the presence. It's the presence. It's the presence of God. And so Moses contends for God's presence. At times in the history of the church, we have lost our grip on what makes us distinct and different from the world. We had whole movements that said, the way you live your life, the way you live your life is what makes you distinct and different from the world. Right? And so we had holiness movement. You remember that? Some of you remember the very first time you picked up a deck of playing cards. You started sweating the moment you started, right? Because what? Holiness movement. The church said those are evil. Some of you guys remember the very first movie you went to. Not because it was a great movie. Because you were terrified of walking into that place. Because the church was telling you if you walk in there you may as well go straight to hell. But what if the thing that makes the Christian peculiar and unique and different isn't how they live their lives. Now, don't get me wrong. This is still important. It's not the main thing. No smoking, drinking, or hanging out with those who do, right? Remember that? Well, let's, let's make it more palatable to today. The, the mark of a Christian is that they have love for everyone, right? I mean, Scripture even says it. How will they know that they're my disciples, that they love one another, Right? And so, the mark of the believer must be their love for one another. But the problem is, if that's the distinguishing mark, then a lot of us as Christians are falling behind some really good people that don't know Jesus out in the world that are doing great stuff. philanthropy and seeking, you know, cures to diseases and raising money to, to wipe up poverty. And, and there, there's, there's a whole lot of people, can I just be quite honest, that put us to shame as believers. So if we're talking the mark of a believer is love for humanity, still important. It's just not the main thing. It's not what distinguishes the Christian. The reality is all of these ideas have some degree of truth. They've all been abused, but they all have some degree of truth. 
But they're not the mark of the believer. They're the outflow of his presence. It's the mark of Christ in us. His presence in us, the hope of glory that makes us distinct. And that's it. That's it. That's it. It's when the journey of looking more and more like Jesus that that we begin to to say um, no to particular behaviors, right? So it's when we dig into the presence that we see God more clearly. We understand his ways more profoundly. And then we're able to juxtapose our life to that and go, I need to change. I need to do some things differently. But it's not about the way you live your life that marks you and makes you distinct. It's about the presence of God that fuels the rest. In verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Just just when you thought, right, most of us in this moment would go, I've been praying for presence, I'm praying that God will go with me, and my people... And then God says, yes, I will go with you and your people. Most of us, what? Amen. Let's go. Not Moses. Not Moses. Moses is digging deep here. Moses is digging deep. Moses is not satisfied. This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses prays a prayer that should be and could be the prayer of every believer. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. Now, now there's some realities to this request because no man can look on the face of God. We know from Scripture that man could not look on the face of God lest they die. Unholy man in front of a holy God equals dead. But there's this beautiful moment where God puts Moses in the cleft of a rock and he guards him with his hand and he safeguards him as he passes by. And Moses has this amazing moment of seeing the back of God, the glory of God. And it changes him. 
Listen, church, you cannot have an encounter with the glory of God and not be changed. And what's amazing is this beautiful moment is a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus in the life of the believer. Because just as Moses was given this, this encounter with the glory of the living God, he had this encounter because he was put into what? The cleft of the rock. And there's this foreshadowing all the way back then of the cleft in the rock that would give access to the presence and the glory of Almighty God. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus is the cleft in the rock. Okay? Now put two and two together. If Jesus is the cleft in the rock, that means that in Christ Jesus, you can pray a prayer like, God Almighty, show me your glory. And in Christ Jesus, you may not see his face, but you'll see in part the glory of God. And friends, that is renewal. That moment is revival. That's what revival is. It's not about seeing the gifts and people falling and people doing and swinging from chandelier. That's not revival. Revival, by definition, is people in Christ Jesus experiencing and seeing and knowing the glory of Almighty God. Because we've been put in that cleft in the rock. In the prayer room, just before we came out here, I was just praying, and I just felt, I, I, uh, I don't get like, you know, I, I, I often um, am jealous of different personalities and different spiritual giftings. Uh, I'm jealous of those that get these beautiful pictures. And some of you, you're here. Just the way the Spirit kind of communicates and, and talks to you is, is through just imagery and pictures. And, and you get these visions and these dreams and these moments. And my imagination just, quite frankly, is not that good. And so God doesn't speak to me, but, but, but he speaks to me just in simple word pictures. And this morning in the prayer room, I was just kind of meditating on my sermon and what we're going to preach today. And I kind of just had this word picture play out. And the word was veil. And I was, I was thinking about revival. I was thinking about renewal. I've been thinking about it a lot, friends. We need a renewal of God's presence in his church. And God just kind of spoke to me in a way, and, just, and maybe it's a picture. Renewal and revival is already happening. Jesus came. <laughs> Jesus came, our cleft in the rock came. And we accepted him and we walked with him. And it's like, 
It's like this renewal is already happening. This revival is happening. It's been happening for over 2,000 years. But there's these moments when the church begins to turn their hearts and begins to peek through the veil and begins to pray prayers like, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. What's amazing, it's at this point that we have musicians up, we've got beautiful synths going, we've got all this stuff, and we orchestrate moments. I think that season of the church, to some degree, is done. And instead we go, you know what? Here's my reality. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you've accepted Christ into your heart, into your life, you can pray a prayer like, show me your glory. Almighty God, show me your glory. And in Christ, you can stand in the throne room of grace, in the throne room of God. And an experience in his glory will change you forever. So, Lord God, when you join with me, church, Lord God, we're so hungry. Lord, we're done asking you to conform to our way. Show us your way. Show us your ways. Lord, we want to pattern our lives after your ways. We want to know your presence in your ways. Not just when it's convenient, not when, not, not when it's, it just feels natural or we, we're feeling it. Lord, we want to explore your glory in moments even where we feel awkward in community like this with silence. Show us your ways. Lead us in repentance, Lord. Lord, not just an I'm sorry's, but lead us in a deep repentance. That we would purpose in our hearts as we discover your ways to change ours. And Lord, we don't want to do this. We don't want to be on this mission and reaching Powell River unless your presence goes with us. Lord, I don't want to walk across the street to my neighbor unless your presence goes with me. Lord, I don't want to go into my workplace to represent you well unless your presence goes with us. Lord, we contend for your presence today. We contend for your presence. Because it's your presence that marks us. It's your presence that makes us distinct.
And Lord, would you show us your glory? Would you show us your glory?